0: I wouldn't put my comprehensive PAC contribution strategy into ChatGPT and ask it to refine it because it's essentially going out onto the internet. So it's um, it's user and buyer beware.
1: Welcome back to the Facts About PACs podcast. I'm Michaela Isler, NetPAC's Executive Director, and I'm joined today by Adam Belmar, David Shield, and Dr. Casey Burgett from George Washington University for a follow-up to our discussion from back in January about generative AI. But before we get to all that, Mr. Belmar, thanks so much for holding down the pod while I took some much-needed R&R earlier this month.
2: Well, thanks for handing me the keys. And welcome back. I trust you enjoyed the time away with the family.
1: We did. We did. You know, um, re-entry is hard. I'm still getting used to the time change. I didn't even make it to the presidential Republican Party debates last night. I just couldn't stay away awake but been trying to catch up on all the news this morning
2: we are taping this on the day following the milwaukee wisconsin first republican presidential candidates debate which was absent the former president who himself has a full dance card today but we'll leave that aside
1: adam i'm and i'm really glad that we picked this moment to reconvene with david and casey to look at the current shape of ai in our professional lives so say the magic words
2: the Facts About PACs podcast is produced especially for the members of the National Association of Business Political Action Committees. In every episode, we recap this week's NABPAC activities, share actionable intelligence and best practices, all while connecting the PAC community.
1: Thanks so much, Adam. And welcome back, Dr. Casey Bergett from George Washington University's Graduate School of Political Management. And of course, Mr. David Schild, a GSPM graduate himself and a former professor.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here always good to be on the podcast hot girl summer is over
2: grizzled pack veteran fall is here uh i'm all about it i love it grizzled pack veteran fall is here well listen michaela the last time we all gathered here to discuss generative ai was in january 2023 right on the heels of the public release of chat gpt eight months later and oh boy, have things moved quickly. The 2023-2024 school year is getting underway, and the academic implications of generative AI still haunt the hallowed hallways. And headlines like these are on screens everywhere. Researchers using AI have given a woman severely paralyzed by a brain stem stroke more than 18 years ago the ability to speak. Enterprise software vendors are baking generative AI into everything your company uses, and AI powerhouse NVIDIA reported 171% year-over-year increase in data center revenue driven by demand for AI chips, sending its stock soaring to all-time highs. And that's just
1: the last 24 hours, Michaela. Oh my gosh, Adam, it really does feel like it's sweeping the world. So Casey, let's start with you. We talked a little bit about this eight months ago, and we did sort of say, let's reconvene in the fall. So we're kind of approaching fall now. So what's the latest on how, you know, GWU and GSPM are handling the challenge to original academic work now?
3: Man, we are chasing it. It is faster than us. It is more dynamic than us. It is borderline smarter than us. And we are reaching, just as as someone on a faculty listserv, which I could I wish I could mute forever more, but I get more emails about guidance to to AI, chat GPT, the pitfalls of it than I feel like I did during COVID. And so it is just a signal from the top down that they they see it, uh, they know its powers, they definitely know its limitations at this stage. And they're trying to, to, to walk that that incredible balance, that impossible balance of original work, original research, getting people to think on their own, which in, in my program, at least, is one of my biggest goals is, is critical thinking. And and also recognize that this is a technology that ain't going anywhere. So we are, we're, we're constantly chasing it. We're, we're the, the guidance that we issue ranges from only do open blue book exams in class, which I am never going to do to trying to detect or put in prompts yourself, welcome in the technology into your classroom, let them understand they're using the prompts and then maybe let them correct the prompts themselves, which if I were them, I would I would use that prompt, use the correction to the prompt and then throw it back in themselves. So it's just a doom loop of AI that, that we're facing right now. Um, but I, I for one, welcome our, our AI overlords given the, the the technological advances. I mean, if it's making people speak now, we're gonna pretend to kick it out of the classrooms seems like a never ending chase.
0: Oh, yeah. So, you know, this is Casey's absolutely right. You know, we are constantly trying to follow this technology. And you know how much I hate being the Nostradamus of the pack world. But when we last spoke, I did say this was coming to enterprise level software in a way that would be deployable for pack professionals. And I don't want to miss out on the data and privacy concerns. There's some great stuff in the news about this. But boy, oh, boy, today. Right now, Microsoft, Adobe, these companies are building generative AI tools into these software suites. So are we at a place where you can ask Microsoft Excel to create a pack budget for you? We are very close. Are you at a place where you can ask Adobe? to design pack graphics for you yes we are very close if not there already and i think this is where the rubber is going to meet the road for most pack professionals Chat gpt is an interesting thing to play around with but when you talk about the tools that we use every day our productivity suites and you start saying hey you can ask these tools to build things for you that you might have built manually for yourself pack directors are one man one woman
2: bands i think this is the future Casey, when you said we're chasing it, we might not ever catch up. It it just kind of made me feel like that old adage, don't fight the fed. You got to employ some judo here. You got to go with the momentum. This thing has manifested everywhere. There is a a burden on the part of scholars to do original work but to learn and if this evolution has brought this into the classroom I think you're right there's no getting away from it now we're gonna have to figure out a way to work with it to help understand what it is I mean ultimately your students once told not to use it are going to try and use it even more and I assume they're the ones who are becoming the experts because they're they're trying to figure out how to use it maybe and not get caught
3: Yeah, exactly. Right. Like I always tell my students when we were talking about the old days of plagiarism that the Internet is very good at giving you information. It is just as good at catching you using other people's information. I don't know if that's true anymore. Right. Because right now we have plagiarism checkers that can find written words down that have been documented. But this ain't that, right? This is them. You can put in the same prompt over and over and you're going to get brand new results. Will there be similarities? Probably, but it's not going to kick or ring the bells of plagiarism checkers. So again, this is is a tough component of welcoming this technology that it isn't going anywhere, recognizing the tools that it can provide, and then still recognizing the limitations, particularly in a higher ed context, right? Where the goal isn't necessarily the product. This is the, the journey, the, the critical thinking, the expanding your mind. And also using those tools to help you do that at the same time, right? Like take away the manual labor that used to be uh, all of the hours that you put in and, and use that to, to facilitate a better product. And I think everyone's going to turn out better in the end by doing all that.
0: You know, Casey's mention of intellectual property sort of uh, leads me to think about some of the pushback that has come on this front. And I think we knew it was coming, right? People said, well, if generative AI is scraping data from the Internet, then isn't it possible that you're going to produce some plagiarized sort of works? And there's two things in the news that that struck me. The first is comedian uh, Sarah Silverman saying, I'm filing suit against ChatGPT because it's basically writing my jokes. (laughs) And boy, oh, boy, if we're getting into the world of joke stealing, right, that's that's kind of a brave new world for sure. But the the more serious one was The New York Times uh, updating their terms of service to say that um, users with access are prohibited from scraping their articles For use in generative AI tools. And I think you're seeing indications that the Times and other publications may go to court to say, hey, you know, our reporters, (laughs) our bureaus are producing a lot of original work. You can't just borrow from that, feed it into an engine, and then produce your own reporting. And, you know, the analysis seems to be that if this is the case, if organizations start to limit the data set from which these engines can draw, it's kind of hobbling for this technology because it relies on the biggest data set possible. And if you start walling off different data sets, it can't feed from as big a trough and it's limited in terms of what it can do. So we're seeing the initial pushback. Uh, I'm not an IP lawyer, but it's uh, something we need to keep an eye on as to how these tools survive and scale.
1: Yeah, I think that article in New York Times was very interesting because it's just the tip of the iceberg, I think, on potential litigation. Um, And as we talk about privacy and data concerns, but also I was part of a... A uh, small group, kind of a working group, just to talk about AI and sort of the government relations in the pack space recently. And my concern, I think I raised this, Casey, when we talked about this eight months ago, is just on the sort of the biases and the inaccurate information that is starting to get reproduced. You know, you'll see it in, in political advertising, um, potentially with PAC reporting, and it's just it's very scary where this could potentially go and, and how are we distilling this information? How do we know what's accurate and what isn't? So both, I think, in the academic world, but also in the professional world, this this is going to present a challenge for especially PAC professionals.
3: Yeah, I, I'm definitely sympathetic to that. and And I think we're in an information age that even prior to AI, we were facing some of those same battles of of what's true what's not where's the misinformation where's the misinterpretation of information so i think this kicked it up on steroids obviously because it's producing its own or, or at least uh regenerating it on its own um but but again it's not a new problem it's just a bigger problem again this is why we're chasing it right there's no clean answers and so y- your choice is either to at least in the in the academic setting, ban it, which you can't do, or try to come up with some way to work around it and while still getting the the main objectives of your program or your class or your technology satisfied. And that's the that's the battle I'm facing daily.
1: And David, you've brought this up even in some of our conversations, maybe even on the show that that's what makes even the PAC professionals job, you know, you need to be out in front of this, you need to be verifying the information before the CEO and other C-suite executives are reaching out to you.
0: Yeah, there's two things going on here, I think. One, Michaela, is you've got to be a source of reliable and trusted information, right? And and we've had conversations more broadly about misinformation and deep fakes and how do I trust what I'm seeing in the political space, right? I'm waiting with bated breath for the first fake Clip from last night's Republican debate, right? Somebody who comes it's in with there. a tool yeah. and say, "Yeah, exactly." It's going to be out there. So be, first, be a trusted source of political information because you're asking people for money to be part of the political process, you know. But the, the second thing I would say is this is kind of a force multiplier for those one man bands and. You know, I think that this debate, it reminds me a lot of what we talked about in the aerospace and defense community years ago with technology and a concept that that was called human-machine teaming by former uh, undersecretary of defense Bob Work. It was about, we're not going to let the machine do everything. We're not going to make the human do everything. We're going to make the human's job easier and more productive in partnership with the machine that was the idea for the soldier or the sailor or the airman and i think as a pack director i don't want to be competing with other pack professionals who have a machine helping them write a pack brochure helping them design a pack budget helping them create pack graphics that to me i think is the is the ideal end state here but you know this is involving in real time it's hard to see where we're going
3: yeah i was thinking while we were talking about it the the reliability of information which is obviously a key pushback here but the, the reality is, is this was this is less than a year old. Right. And more and more people are getting into the space. And these models, because of the, the the definition of how they work, they're self-correcting. Right. Like the their reliability is getting better and better every single day. And the more you you get technology companies, particularly the good ones, the trusted ones into this space, they know this pushback, too. Right? There's going to be a rush to correct and label and be able to find flaws within its own system as a, as a differentiator of, of marketplace viability. And so that's good. right? That's where the competition really sparks that ingenuity. And the fact that we all have the same concerns about it means that so do their engineers. Uh, so do their employees, so do the, the, the peoples in broader economies that are just going to demand higher level of reliability, trustworthiness, and even labeling the same way we see on cigarette packs or or nutrition labels.
2: Let me push us into yet another area, ripped from the headlines. The actors and writers who are on strike out in California and across our nation are not only putting a giant dent into the bingeability of Netflix and all the other streaming outlets as we look into the new year and Christmas, there's an AI component here. And I think it's important for us broadly on the number one PAC podcast in America to think about what it means for jobs and what it means for ownership of work. And let me explain to you why machine learning, AI algorithms, they are giving an artificial voice, as I mentioned, to people who suffered strokes whose voices have been taken away. They are also stealing voices from live humans, creating the possibility for creative works to be done, assuming a voice of an actor who's not remunerated, who no longer has a place in the workforce. These are serious concerns that the business community is now tackling, that individual practitioners are tackling. David and Michaela, Casey, this is maybe not an existential threat to business, maybe not an existential threat right now to individual workers and practitioners, but it's easy to see that if we don't begin to reckon with this, it could be. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. You know, I think that, look,
0: throughout history, people are threatened by technological evolution and change. And there is, you know, sort of this dual narrative of we're all going to be more productive or are we all going to be out of work. Right. And and you see these incredible numbers about, you know, what AI is going to mean to the economy, but potentially the jobs that are going to be lost. Uh, I guess I tend to be a little bit more of an optimist, which is to say that this is a tool set that people are going to be introduced to at a younger and younger age. And there was a generation of people that would have come out of high school and college that honestly were not that very familiar with word processing and computing and spreadsheets and things of that nature. And then we all made the adaption and look how many of us today are doing podcasting. And that's not something that's considered, you know, revolutionary a- anymore. And so I would expect that Casey's students And others are going to come out of undergraduate graduate programs familiar with this technology. They're going to deploy it. But at least for the kind of dynamic role that is organizing political campaigns, raising money for politics, communicating, soliciting membership, I've not yet seen the existential threat that says this field of endeavor goes away.
3: I'll tell you my biggest threat and, and Adam, not to discount yours or diminish it, because that is a real consideration the same way it was for the Internet and probably the steam press before that. Right. This has been a constant battle. But my biggest one is par- particularly working off David's point of like this generation. We have a generational gap here, though, the, the body that we uh, look to to regulate this, understand it and know it. That generation is two generations removed, right? I'm talking about Congress. It is two generations removed from actually understanding this. We are still struggling with, I mean, really struggling with the internet age, social media, its impact on this. And, and so just thinking about that, that generation, that, that body, um, talking about my, my bureaucracy at GW trying to chase it, Congress is way behind. And this is an institution that needs to be on the forefront of this to not only respond to cataclysmic challenges here, but also be proactive in where the technology is going, understanding it from a national security perspective, because there always is one. Um, this is where my, my biggest concern is with all while saying that I don't discount the, the threat to jobs, particularly some mid-level, uh, entry-level part that my students often come out and, and try to get these jobs at. So I think a couple things can be true at once, but I'm thinking about the, the, the lack of congressional capacity to treat this as the, Uh, both the the powerful tool that it is and also the threat that it can be.
1: Yeah, Casey, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And I think even if you caught any of the Clips from the he- the congressional hearing on this. There were some grave concerns that were expressed, even by the creator of AI. And Congress does not seem to be moving at all based on the output from that. So who knows when they might make this a priority? It's gonna. It's, it's it is very very scary in some ways.
2: I want to throw something else in the mix and then turn it back to David SHILD because David, I think you brought us to a really important spot early on in this conversation about where is the data. Where is the knowledge coming from? If you take a look at a lot of the reporting, you'll find that there has been a downturn of late of people utilizing chat GPT. Right. It's no longer at capacity. It's still got a little headroom for you. Why is that? I think it's because there are real questions about privacy that are very adjunct to what you just talked about with the New York Times and their terms of service change and potential litigation, but also just general data security. Okay, if you're scraping the Internet, that's one thing. If you are taking proprietary information from your company and your intellectual property and just giving it away to ChatGPT to get a minor productivity, Gain. Wow. You yourself are the insider threat, no? Well, you know, Mikhail has been a leader on this and, and she's talked about it repeatedly, which
0: is you need to be understanding the terms of service you're operating under. If you think about the nature of our PAC communications, they're sensitive, they're proprietary, they're confidential for a reason. Do you want to feed all of that into an online engine? Now, I'm going to temper that a little bit and say, look, in the online world now, You got to understand that Microsoft is looking what you type into Word. Google is looking at what you type into Gmail. Like this is occurring to a limited extent. But yeah, I I wouldn't put my comprehensive pack contribution strategy into chat GPT and ask it to refine it because it's essentially going out onto the internet. So it's, um,
2: it's user and buyer beware. Excellent point, David, and yeah, caveat emptor, but even as I look at those headlines and I've been trying to think hard about what does that eight-month reprise of this discussion entail, I went through and found some fascinating articles, and I don't want to be defeatist or alarmist, but there is inescapable conclusions that humans and the workforce are going to be losing their jobs. So you can talk to me all day about the partnership and making people more productive, but productivity gains mean that we can have fewer people and pay less, increase revenue. And guess what? There are articles out there saying who's most at risk. Well, tech jobs, coders, software engineers, data analysts, media jobs, Advertising, content creation, technical writing, journalism, paralegals, legal assistance, teachers, sorry, Casey, financial jobs. I mean, look, the better it gets, the more people it helps, the fewer people you need. Tell me I'm wrong, people. Tell me I'm wrong. It's an adapt or
0: die economy. That's not changing anytime soon. Um but I think we're going to survive this, right? I'm going to be the optimist again and say that, um, you know, we live in a world where, um, you know, people are not uh, shoeing horses and uh, we manage to survive. We're going to live in a world where perhaps, uh, you know, certain careers are going to transform a- a- and shift. But I will say this from an experiential perspective, right? When I try to get these generative AI tools to replicate op-eds or to replicate narrative writing or to replicate some of the persuasive writing that I think is, just intrinsic to what you do as a, as a political you know, management professional, it's not there yet. It's uh, a good imitation, but I can still tell the difference between RC and Coca-Cola today. And I think that's, that's where we are in the PAC world.
3: I'm joining David on the optimism side, right? Like this is again, like we said at the top, within the classroom, you can either you can either welcome it or pretend it doesn't exist. And I don't think the latter is all that helpful. So, will it have some destruction to it? Absolutely. Any uh, groundbreaking technology always does. Do we know the extent of it? I don't think we do. And to me, obviously, the the, the best analogy for this or the the closest uh, breakthrough we've had is the the internet, right? but that was a slower moving process where not there was a, a less um a fewer people jumping on the technology at the very beginning which slowed that destruction down right that's not true for for chat gpt or or ai in general um but I'm optimistic on the the, the outproducts of those huge breakthroughs, right? Like brand new industries are going to pop up faster than ever, which are gonna require brand new jobs, right? We mentioned podcasting, now everyone can do it. We mentioned media, now everyone can do it, which to me is a is a healthy place to be. It creates new opportunities uh, to to connect, new thought processes. It's just we're predicting the end state of something that's constantly evolving. And I think we're leaning too heavy on the, the negative sides when we don't even know the potentials for the positives yet.
1: Well, so fascinating and so pertinent to the professional world that we all live in. It's certainly a brave new world. And I'm glad that we all were able to spend the time today to talk about it together. Casey Burgett and David Shield, thank you both for being with us again on the Facts About PAX podcast.
3: Always appreciate y'all. Great to be here.
1: And thanks to all the real humans downloading and sharing the Facts About Packs podcast. Subscribe and meet us right back here next week.